As we come to the scripture this morning, I'd ask that you might turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to read the entire chapter, but our focus here will be from verses 10 through the end of the chapter as we now continue considering this call of God to Moses for the ministry that he's called him to. Now hear the word of God from Exodus 3, beginning at verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire from the midst of the bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt... You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites, to the Hivites and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, 
Yahweh, God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver and of gold, of clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. May God add his rich blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Our Father, we ask now that your spirit would attend the preaching of the word, that you would open up our ears that we can hear, our eyes that we can see, and with hearts of understanding we might receive the engrafted word to bring forth the fruit that would glorify and please your holy name. Only your spirit knows how to apply the truth of your word to our lives, and we ask now that he would apply to each one of us. This word that is preached now, that it may not go forth in vain, but it would go forth with the power for which you have sent it, and that it would bring forth back to you that which would be pleasing in your sight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The calling of Moses here at the burning bush, which will continue on into the next chapter, is the longest conversation between God and man that is recorded in the Scripture up to this point in the Scripture. God would have many long conversations with Moses, much of which are not recorded for us, but we know that took place even upon the very mountain that he promised him over the course of 40 days. That would happen more than once. And as we hear this conversation between God and Moses, we are drawn to know something more about God himself. And that is part of this point. And just how personal our great God really is. What we're reading here and what we're studying is God's call on Moses to the ministry. And I've called this part two and I'm not sure how many parts it's going to have, but we'll continue as we we glean out of this conversation much truth for each one of us. Because each of you here this morning who are in Christ have a special calling of God upon your life. Not only have you been called out of darkness into the kingdom of light, but you have a special and unique gifting, very unique to you who you are in the setting, in the place in which God has placed you. It's a ministry that God has appointed specifically to you. And you have been saved by grace to to walk in the very good works that God has foreordained for you to walk in, according to the Scriptures. You have been bought with a price, and you are not your own, and you are a very special treasure unto God. And in this setting, when Moses was 80 years old, and God calls him now to the ministry that God had appointed for him, 
We learn a lot about the nature of God, even in this conversation that has been preserved for us in the Holy Scriptures. A revelation of God himself that applies to each one of us. And what we need to learn here in this setting is that your life's calling is all about God and his purposes in your life, in this world, for the time in which you live, in the context in which he's placed you. And this is about God. It's about his plan and his purposes for you. And our application this morning is to be faithful in what God has called us to, and to be encouraged that he will go with us and he will do that which he has called us to do. As we consider first, Moses' ministry was a very unique ministry which typified the Messiah that would come, Christ himself. But it was a very unique ministry, unlike any other ministry that we see in the Scripture. He was called to be a leader and a deliverer. He was called to be a mediator. And the office of the mediation between God and man would encompass three special offices of a prophet, priest, and a king, all of which Moses fulfilled even before they were officially established. And that is why he has a very special ministry. He is a prophet in Deuteronomy 18.18. He even says that God will send you a prophet like unto me. And that is quoted in the New Testament scriptures. And we know that Moses was a prophet. But Moses was also a priest. He was of the Levite tribe, and Psalm 99 verse 2 says that Moses and Aaron were among his priests. But functionally, he also functioned as a king. He led the people. He delivered them out of their bondage. He led them in war against their enemies. He judged their cases. He had plans for the tabernacle of which they would build, just like David, the king, was given plans for the temple that God's people would build uh, several hundred years later. Functionally, he did everything that a king was designed to do. A prophet, a priest, and in a sense a king, all three of these were specifically part of the role of the mediation between God and men, the mediator would then encompass all three of those particular offices and would point forward to the one and only true mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And so Moses had a very unique ministry, unlike anyone else in the Old Testament. From Moses, the priesthood would be ordained. He would be the one that would be chosen to ordain them. From Moses, the official elders of Israel would be established From Moses, the Torah would be given. From Moses, who was called by Christ himself, faithful over all of my house. This calling of Moses was a special calling. 
But each one of you also have a very special and unique calling, particular to you and your occasion and your circumstance of life. And you need to understand how God has done that for you as he has done for Moses. Whatever God calls us to must be done in the spirit and not in the power of ourselves. There's a lesson here, even out of this passage from Moses, that we should consider. Because whether it's counseling others in their needs, or ministering music in the corporate worship, or preaching uh, as I do this morning, or taking a meal to someone in the name of Jesus, whatever that ministry moment is, You must do this in the power of God and not in your flesh for it to be efficacious in the manner that God's designed for you. Now there's a contrast in Moses' spirit when he attempted to deliver the people in the arm of the flesh 40 years earlier And then when he was called by God to deliver his people, now at 80 years of age. Moses was aware that we find out from Stephen's sermon particularly of his calling much earlier in life than this moment at the burning bush. When he rose up and he identified and went out to Pharaoh's house and knowing that that was his people, the Hebrews, identifying with them, and he rose up to kill the Egyptian, he assumed that his people would understand that he was the leader who would deliver them and lead them out of the land of Egypt. In fact, Stephen says in that portion of the sermon, in Acts chapter 7, it says, And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian, for he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. But Moses at that time was not ready to deliver God's people, and God was not ready for Moses to deliver his people. When Moses attempted what he did in the arm of the flesh, it would not avail for the way that God designed for Moses and for the people to come out with a mighty display of God's power and God's might by his spirit. So God would take Moses to the backside of the wilderness of Midian to temper that carnal aspect and those fleshy impulses of Moses for 40 years, and he would do that in the shepherding of sheep. To the point that when God finally calls Moses at his appointed time 40 years later, Moses was not eager or zealous to fulfill his calling, which we'll see over the course of this conversation. Lord, who am I to go and deliver the people out of Egypt, he says. Now we can sometimes, it's interesting how this works, seems to have, we can sometimes have more courage in our flesh than actual strength in the spirit. But we can only successfully minister faithfully to God in the spirit. 
You remember Peter when Jesus was informing the disciples that he will go and he will die and Peter said, I will die with you, Lord. And then Jesus brings him into a little further place in the garden and he says, now Peter, James, and John, pray with me for an hour. He comes back and he finds them sleeping. He says, can you not pray for a single hour? Pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So therefore, you're going to need spiritual victory. And it can only come about by the spirit of power, the spirit of God, not by the arm of the flesh. Well, you know the story, and three times he goes about this, and he had just said that he will die with him. And so when finally the hour comes, it was Peter who then unleashes the sword and cuts off the servant of the high priest. Very courageous in the moment, and in a sense willing to die, but in the flesh and not in the spirit. And yet within 24 hours... He would do exactly what Jesus says. You will deny me three times before the cock crows in the morning. See, carnal courage can never be identified with spiritual boldness. Moses, too, in the flesh, tried to deliver his people in the arm of the flesh, and he failed to do so. And yet, now he's being called 40 years later to do so, and he's beginning to question, well, you know, who am I? And No, don't, don't send me, send somebody else. And he, he began to see the work of that sanctifying meekness worked in Moses. Now that God was ready to use Moses, Moses was not so sure about himself anymore. That's often the place that we need to be when we are called into ministry. We're, we're not supposed to be so sure of ourselves. We're supposed to be faithful and sure of God. In verse 11 it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? The 40 years had humbled Moses. It gave him a sober mind. It gave him a mind that turned upward and not so much downward. Moses saw difficulties in himself. He saw difficulties in the people. He saw difficulties in the tasks in which he was called. And now in the spirit, he's not so sure. And not quite so ready. One commentator says this of this very particular verse. He says, quote, The principle is this. When the will of man acts in self-appointed service, he does not feel the difficulties in the way. But when there is a true call from God, these are felt. Thus it was with Moses. When he went forth in the energy of the flesh, he was full of confidence in the success of his mission. This comes out clearly in Acts 7.25, for he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. But now that he is called of God to the work, he is very conscious of the difficulties that are in the way. The discipline of the backside of the desert had not been in vain. Shepherding had chastened him. End of quote. You know, it is easy for all of us 
none of us accepted. To attempt to minister in the flesh that which we can only do in the Spirit. Moses would would have a relapse later in life when he was told to to speak to the rock, and that second time he struck the rock, and, and yet ministry still flowed to the people, but God would hold him accountable for not being obedient in the Spirit. When we are called to do in the Spirit what God wants us to do by His power and His strength, it doesn't seem as easy as it once did when we were thinking about it in a carnal way. And that's a caution for every one of us. Whether you're mowing the grass in the name of Jesus for the blessing of the church, or whether we are pouring a cup of cold water to the least of these of Jesus' brethren. We do it in his name, and we do it in the Spirit. But there's a caution for us also not to judge in the flesh what others are called to do in the Spirit. It is easy to be a critic while you're in the flesh, but it's not so easy to minister in the Spirit especially in those of leadership. This would be a hard lesson that Aaron and Miriam would later have to confront and one that Dathan and Abiram and others would have to learn as well. But here was Moses not quite so sure of himself. And it's in this posture of humility that then God would then be able to use him. But see, as as Moses is now speaking uh, these words to God, and he's questioning God about his selection, and and who am I, and, and are you sure this is what you want to do? And then God, in verse 12, he assures Moses. He assures Moses just like he assures us. He says, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you, that when you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. There's two things here that I think are interesting or notable. Number one, he assures Moses that he will be with them every step along this journey. And that's the same promise that Jesus has given to you. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. All power and all authority has been given to me. Now, therefore, go. I'll be with you. Now, that doesn't mean there's not going to be challenges. There will be. But it means that God is going to be with you through every one of those challenges. The path will not be an easy one if you're obeying the will of God. But God will be with you. What God orders, he pays for, as an old pastor told me. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. And that's an encouragement to every one of us here. Too often we look for the easy path. We look for the simplest way. We want the personal peace. We, we want it easy. But God says, no, it's not going to be easy, but I will be with you. There will be resistance, but I will be with you. There will be challenges, but I will be with you. To be faithful to me means that you will endure tribulations. 
Jesus assured us of this. He set our expectations of this. He was setting the course for us. He does not want us to have mis-expectations. He wants us in those times of difficulty to look to him and to know that he is with us and the problems that we have, he will solve. The obstacles we endure, he will overcome. God will be with us. Don't try to take the easiest path Just try to take the faithful path, and God will bless you in the midst of that. See, he's got a path for each one of you. He's planned it out already ahead of time. He has chosen you in Christ before the foundation of the world, and he has foreordained the very good works in which you are to walk in, and you are to be faithful. You have many hurdles to get over, but he says, I'll be with you. If you've come to God... He has an assignment for you, and the assignment will have challenges, resistance, hurdles, obstacles. Yes, but there's nothing to worry about. God is with you. I remember when I was entering my first year of seminary, and I was talking to the guidance counselor trying to figure out what my preliminaries might need to be. He wanted to know if I grew up in church and wanted to make sure that if I got put into certain classes that I wouldn't be overwhelmed and frustrated. In one statement, he said, he says, God doesn't want you to be frustrated. It's funny how I clasp on to little statements in my life. And this was my systematic theologian professor, the one who taught and was the head of the graduate classes, the one who taught me uh, second year Hebrew, taught me all my hard classes. And God doesn't want you to be frustrated. Well, I'm a guy that's easily frustrated. (laughs) And I thought about that for 35 years now. I've been thinking about that. God doesn't want me to be frustrated. And he doesn't want you to be frustrated. He wants you to know that he is with you. And he's in control. Now there's another thing that's kind of interesting here because he says to Moses, look, I'm going to show you a sign. The sign that I'm going to show you that I'm going to be with you is that when you bring the people out of Egypt, you're going to worship me on this very mountain on which you are now standing in which I am now speaking. I'm going to speak to you again here, Moses. And I thought about that. I thought that was very interesting because usually signs are something that you want ahead of time. And this is kind of like an after-effect sign. I'm like, well, what does that mean? I don't understand that, Lord. What is this sign that was going to then confirm after the fact that he let him out? Wouldn't he want to know something beforehand? And we'll get to that in the next chapter. But here's my thoughts on this particular aspect. When, when God gives Moses the signs, which he will in the next chapter, the rod that would turn into a serpent, the hand that would turn leprous and back again, and then the water that would turn to blood. He knows Moses will also need affirmation, even after God has shown his tremendous power and exhibited himself to him in bringing out the people out of Egypt. The the after-the-fact sign was designed to continue to affirm Moses that he's on the right track when things get very difficult. 
When we're on the journey that God has led us, fulfilling the ministry to which he's called us, it will not be easy and it will have challenges. But we, by those challenges, are not to question if we are on the right path. But we often do. It wasn't easy for Jesus, and yet he warned us that it won't be easy for us. But what we often need in our, in our weak faith are these, these affirmations. These after-the-fact signs that show, yeah, you're on the right track. Just remember what I did. Remember what I told you. Remember now where you are. So along the way, we have and need these tokens of grace to affirm us that we are to keep moving forward. Our work is not in vain. Our labor is not in vain. Let's keep moving forward. To remind us of the past to provide fresh tokens of grace, to reaffirm us in that which he has called us to. We might recall at this very point that the next time Moses would meet with God on this mountain, he will have seen great signs in Egypt. He will have seen the mighty power of God. Wave after wave of God's power was displayed. The plundering of the Egyptians, just like God had said. The crossing of the Red Sea. The sea that came back to destroy the enemies. And then Moses sings a song and then Miriam praises him with a psalm. Then the waters of Marah were bitter and they were made sweet again. How could Moses question any of this? But you know, we do. The next time he would be on this mountain, having led the people out of Egypt through all those mighty signs, guess what would be going on? He would be up on the mountain worshiping God, giving, getting the Ten Commandments while the people were down making a golden calf. We like Moses, need affirmations. And God will give it to us. Moses would need that affirmation when he was back on that mountain. When God says, I will destroy this people. Get out of the way, Moses. And Moses would have to say, God, this is your people. Don't do it. As the psalmist would say in Psalm 86, 17, Lord, show me a sign for good. Lord, give me a token of your grace. We need these affirming signs, these after-the-fact realities that will confirm and affirm that we are heading on the path that God has put for us. Well, next we see that God reveals himself very personally to Moses. This is a tremendous verse of which when I'm coming into this text, this is where I feel most inept. This is where I feel most vulnerable and, and just unable to do the glory of God justice. Moses questions God regarding the people's acceptance of his mission. And he asks them, well, how will they know that you sent me. What shall I tell them who sent me? And God reveals himself so personally to Moses as never done before. And as God reveals himself so personally to Moses, he 
reveals himself personally to you. Look at this. Moses had already been rebuffed by his brethren 40 years earlier. Why would the brethren accept him now? The one who has been apart from him for 40 years. The one who's not identified with the community. They don't even know this man now. And why would they think that Moses would now be the one that would lead them out? It's a fair question. Lord, what should I tell them? Who are you? And God answers in revealing himself in such a personal manner that had never been done before. God says, I am who I am sent you. Tell them, I am sent you. I am is considered the personal name of God. In fact, the scriptures tell us that he reveals himself in this very personal name. If you want to know the name of God, it is I am. And Moses was the first one that God revealed himself to in this way. Later in Exodus 6, verse 2, it says, And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am that I am. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by the name I am, I was not known to them as I am to you, Moses. The name I am is a derivative from the verb, the Hebrew verb, to be. I am being I was, I am, I will be. It incorporates all of the verb of being in the self-existent God, all wrapped up in this name that he now reveals to his servant Moses. The one and the only self-existent one, the eternal God, the immortal God, the invisible God, the I am, which is the only true God. He is transcendent. He is unapproachable. He is incomprehensible. He is all holy and completely separate from all of his creation. He is the creator and sovereign over all. This is I am. Above and beyond space and time universe in which we are confined, is I am. And yet here in this moment, talking with Moses in the burning bush, the great I am has made himself personally known to Moses. He's having a conversation with Moses. Telling Moses what he plans to do for the people. And Moses is talking to I am like another human being. He's asking I am his questions. He's bearing his heart. He's showing his uncertainty. He's being transparent. And I am is answering his questions. He's addressing his concerns in a very patient and interested way. Telling Moses his personal name, making himself known to Moses like he's never made himself known to anyone up until this time. It's an amazing moment. I am would go on to be God's name associated with the covenant and his covenant name that he is known, made known to his people. 
Now, there is one true God and only one true God in existence. It is. And He is. I am. I was, I am, I will be. Yet this single transcendent God above all is intimately known to His people, to His specially chosen people, to the people of whom He has particularly given His favor. And He wants each one of us to know Him personally as He is wanting Moses to know that He is personal. To have conversations with I am like we do with members of our family or our closest friends. To tell I am our deepest thoughts. To share our biggest concerns. To ask our hardest questions. Our God wants us to know Him. And that He is with us. He is listening to us. He cares for us. And He is at work in our lives and the circumstances around us. So He tells Moses, tell them, I am sent you. And that was the answer to Moses' question. Would that ever be questioned? Well, sure, sure would. In fact, Pharaoh, very early on, would question in his hard-hearted state when he asked Moses, Who is I am that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know I am, nor will I let Israel go. Oh, Moses was simply a messenger. God would show Pharaoh who he was and is, and will be. The proper name of God has been translated, transliterated from this Hebrew verb, I am, into words like Jehovah or Yahweh. It is seen in our English Bibles oftentimes with a capital L-O-R-D. When it's all in capitals, you know this is that unique name. Because we have a, a, a question of the vowel pointing, it has been questioned, does it get pronounced Jehovah or does it get pronounced Yahweh? But really the most literal and consistent way to pronounce this personal covenant name of God is, I am. I am is our God. The name I am would then resonate and ring more clearly when the second person of the Godhead who was now speaking with Moses in the burning bush would arrive on earth in the man Jesus and he would say, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. And if you didn't understand it, you didn't get that connection before, he would just simply say, before Abraham was, I am. That's who Moses is speaking with. And that's the one who came to save you from your sins 
by bearing them upon himself and dying upon the cross. It is the great I am. So God revealed himself to Moses as I am, without beginning, without end, from everlasting to everlasting, I am God. This eternal transcendent God wants his people to know, like he wanted Moses to know, that they are objects of his very special favor and of his deep covenant love. In verse 15, he tells them now, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and men who specifically were singled out of the mass of all of humanity and who were men of God's special favor. This was their father's. And God had chosen them. God had set his love upon them. He he gave them his unconditional promise and pledging of himself to them to give them a land they did not deserve, protection and provision for which they did not ask, and an inheritance for which they could not receive on their own. He had favored them. And what God had done with them, his immense, immeasurable grace, he is now doing with you. And the more you realize God's grace and his special love that he sets upon you, the more humble it will make you. The more grateful you will become. The more confident you will be with his presence with you all the time. Even in those difficult times. And the more peace you will be. The more accepting of the life that he has given to you. And the more content and joyful you will become. The I am has chosen you. The I am has saved you. The I am has set his love upon you. The I am is with you. The great I am is your God. He goes where you go, and He goes with you. He goes before you, before you get there, and He comes along after you once you've arrived. He has granted you a special favor out of the mass of humanity, and He has set His particular saving grace and love upon you. He redeems you to Himself as a holy and blessed treasure, and He provides for you every step along life's journey. He will receive you to, your, to Himself when your journey here is over. His providence is very sure. And you are here this morning in part to hear these very words, to be assured of His grace and to be affirmed with this token of grace in your life and your journey. And to encourage you today from being worried about life's challenges. They will come, but I am is with you. For the remainder of the chapter, I am, reveals to Moses what will happen when he goes to Egypt to call the people out. And God tells him ahead of time, there will be challenges. Pharaoh will not let you go. I will harden his heart. He will harden his heart. And we'll look at the hardening of Pharaoh's heart in subsequent weeks. But God will nonetheless bring them out. God is assuring Moses that regardless of the challenges he will face, that God not only knows how it will turn out, but the great I am is absolutely sovereign over the entire situation, including the heart of Pharaoh. There will be a great showdown. And God will win. 
Moses, expect difficulties, but they're a part of this plan to show forth God's tremendous power. That's why it was going not to work when you 40 years earlier, Moses. The likes of the power of God you have never seen, and now you will. God is telling Moses exactly how things are go. He's telling him ahead of time. And this is going to be important for Moses to remember because it wasn't long into that calling of the people out that Moses began questioning God. Why, why is he in Egypt? Because Pharaoh will not let us go. But God had informed him beforehand. He had set his expectations and God was continuing to move the plan forward. Now with every calling that... God appoints, there will be testing. There will be a proving out of that calling. Your own Christian call will have tests and proving to make sure it's not just seed that is sown on the wayside. But a testing and a proving of that call to show forth that it is genuine, that your faith is proved sure and sincere unto God. And God does that by taking you through testings. And we walk by faith in this calling that God has called us to. So expect challenges, but know that I am is with you. Jesus warned us, we will have tribulations. Expect them, budget for them. But he reminded us of the great I am. He himself will never leave us nor forsake us. He will overcome all the obstacles you face on the journey that he has planned for you. And on the path where there are hurdles, he will be there with you to overcome. He will go before you and he will fight for you. And he will come along behind you and secure and hem you in. The obstacles you face in following God's will do not mean you're on the wrong track. They are simply the path that God has planned for you. Where I am will show himself to you and to others through your faithful ministry. And there's not a single person in this room that's accepted from that truth if you are in Christ. I am is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world to bless you in order that you might walk in the good works that he has foreordained that you walk in. Be faithful and be encouraged. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't grow discouraged in God's calling. God does not want you to be dismayed. God does not want you to be frustrated. He does not want you to be defeated. He has not called you out of darkness into light to mock you or to make you a mockery before men except to glorify his name and to give you the final ultimate victory in Christ. The great I am is a very personal God and he's very personal to you and he provides exactly what you need for life and what you need for godliness and for the calling to which he's called you so be encouraged and be faithful in the life that he has ordered for you from before the foundation of the world. Accept it with contentment, with gratitude and humility, and go as God has sent Moses, so he sends you as well. Our gracious Father, we pray that you would take the truths in this great calling of Moses 
with which you call all of us out of darkness into light, that we would be faithful to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. In all humility and faithfulness, we pray that you would encourage us. And for those who have come here this morning uncertain of what the day may hold for them or what tomorrow may bring, we pray that you would give them a token of grace this day, even from this message, that you are with them and you will never leave them nor forsake them. Lord, we pray that you would apply this word to each of our lives and to us corporately as the ministry of heritage, that we would be encouraged, we would be faithful, and that we would be content with our lot and that we would be encouraged with what you would have us to do, whatever that may be. And so we ask that you would continue to sanctify us in the word and bless us this day to bring forth the fruit that would glorify and please your holy name. For we commit all of this into the, the name of Christ, our risen Lord, the one who spoke to Moses out of the bush, the great I am. In his name we pray. Amen.